15 Minutes in Fascism, a weekly news analysis podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson. And we are, of course, still talking about coronavirus, like literally everybody else, but we're going to be talking about how the right wing is reacting to the virus. Now, the right wing is sort of of two minds when it comes to this epidemic. There are parts of the right wing that see it as a pivotal event in the history of humanity and see it as potentially a redefinition of the United States' relationship with the rest of the world. And then there are others who broadly want to continue in the status quo. And I'm going to hope to use those differences, uh, these two camps, to highlight differences between uh, people who I describe as right wing and people who I describe as conservatives. Now, someone who's paradigmatic of this conservative camp would probably be somebody like Sean Hannity, right? Sean Hannity effectively wants the United States to continue the course uh, to remain functioning about the way that it was, you know, four months ago. Um, This is currently the wing that has the ear of the president. Uh, This is why we're getting all of this rhetoric about opening the country up by Easter, um, which epidemiologists and most state governors are saying, basically, that's just not going to happen. Um, because it would result in too many people dying. Um, This conservative camp is, you know, what you would think of when you think of a conservative. Uh, They are pro-business, they are pro-individual liberty, they want small government. These are the people who have been in favor of cutting money from the CDC, uh, from medical systems throughout the country, um, from, you know, the actual specific uh, pandemic epidemiology team. When you think about like the Koch brothers, this is sort of what we're talking about here. Um, Now, if you're a listener from outside of the United States, uh, it's possible that you'd be confused by this question of a conservative behaving in ways that uh, would be described in the rest of the world as liberal. Uh, And this is getting into sort of like out into the weeds question about United States politics, the distinction between liberals and conservatives, and how the word liberal came to define the center left in the United States, um, as opposed to defining people who are pro-business and pro-individual liberty. Um, But that's sort of a question for another day. The point is that mainstream conservatism in the United States now is characterized by a sort of libertarian approach to the economy and a somewhat soft approach to social control. Um, That approach has softened a lot uh, in the last 10 years um, as the mainstream Republican Party has more or less accepted homosexual marriage and um, people's rights to get an abortion, although there remain wings of the party that are deeply opposed to these things. Um, However, it's sort of ceased to be like one of the main platforms of what the party is striving to do. Uh, We saw this most obviously in the 2016 election um, when Jeb Bush, potentially, you know, uh, the spokesperson for this particular wing of the party back then, uh, said that he basically accepted these things as the law of the land um, and that he would accept or promote changes, um, but that he wasn't going to try to resist them. Now, the nationalist wing of the party is the new one. Uh, This is the one that's been growing since, well, primarily since 2016, but it's been growing in the background for a long time since then. Um, Examples of this part of the Republican Party uh, would be somebody like Steve Bannon, even in exile, and outside of the party, somebody like Mike Cernovich, uh, who you may have heard of as a member of the sort, well, the quote, manosphere, 
Um, these are virulently misogynist uh, political thinkers and propagandists, effectively, uh, who first rose to prominence after the Gamergate controversy, um, but who have since, well, many of them, sort of eked out this position as uh, thinkers, writers of blogs, uh, you know, prominent Twitter users, that sort of thing. Uh, right now, Cernovich maintains a sort of like weird internet empire that combines news and nationalism and weird self-help type stuff focused on, you know, reawakening your masculinity and also on dietary supplements. Um, think about him as a sort of Alex Jones from uh, Infowars, but younger and a little bit less crazy. So Bannon and Cernovich in particular, but also many other people in this wing of the party, the, the, the extremely nationalist part, uh, have been talking about the coronavirus for months. Um, Steve Bannon's own podcast has been focused on the coronavirus since January. Uh, Cernovich and others began tweeting about it and talking about it as a major, major story that would upend the Republican Party and also like governance in the United States for a very long time. They've been doing that for a while now. Um, for about as long as major epidemiologists and uh, health organizations have been talking about the virus, they sort of got the jump on it. And you might be wondering why, or like why this international story would appeal to them, or why they would be at loggerheads with the bigger part of the party, the more conservative part of the party. And this is what I'm hoping that I'm going to get to today. The differences between these conservatives and the nationalists. Now, this is getting at something that hasn't really been discussed so far in this podcast, but if you've been paying attention to politics in the United States, uh, you've probably become relatively familiar with, and that's the concept of realignment. Uh, realignment is a word that people use to describe when the politics of one of the major parties, uh, specifically in the United States, but elsewhere, uh, changes significantly uh, over the course of a couple of years. And that's really what we're witnessing here in the Republican Party. Um, as nationalism, some even call it the new nationalism, gains traction uh, within the party organization and amongst its voters. Um, now, it's not as if the Republican Party wasn't nationalist before, it definitely was, um, but the difference here is that we have nationalists calling for uh, shutting borders down, um, for not just restricting immigration and severely discriminating against and repressing people who are of Mexican or Central American descent, but literally uh, exiling people, um, making millions of stateless people by deporting um, millions of undocumented immigrants to the United States. Um, they also partake in uh, a lot of economic nationalism, and this is where you get people talking about, you know, Republicans talking about bringing jobs home, uh, as opposed to talking about letting the market function the way that it does. Um, which is to say, you know, allowing businesses to pursue profits uh, wherever they can uh, and to the greatest extent possible. Now, these people, some of them are very openly talking about nationalism, uh, like actually using the word, I'm a, you know, I'm a nationalist, um, but a lot of them aren't. Um, and that's something that we're going to have to be paying attention to as we emerge from the world that this uh, pandemic is creating. Um, nationalism has been on the rise uh, throughout much of the world already, and there's a serious chance that these people, new nationalists, are going to be uh, occupying center stage rhetorically and ideologically throughout much of the world, and specifically I'm talking about the Western world, 
North America, Europe, and to a lesser extent, uh, South America, India. Another one of the ways in which the right wing broadly conceived is reacting to the crisis is by increasing state power, uh, specifically state power for surveillance. Um, now, this hasn't happened quite yet in the United States, um, but it is happening throughout much of the rest of the world, and it might be, you know, potentially surprising or maybe even controversial uh, to define this as being universally something uh, dealing with the right wing, because a lot of the governments that are already using these surveillance technologies uh, to police the outbreak are not themselves right wing governments. Um, some of these things are being used in France, Italy, and Spain, also South Korea, Singapore, um, to track people's movements. And, you know, the technologies that are being used are, in some ways, the technologies uh, that tech companies have been using for almost a decade or decades by now uh, to track people's movements via their cell phones. Um, we're talking about governments getting access to records of people's movements, not just to track uh, actual movement of people to get raw data about where people are and who they're in contact with, um, but also, and this is where the right wing comes in, uh, potentially to prosecute and police people uh, who are suspected or about to be accused of spreading the virus or of traveling without authorization. Now, the fact is that this is medically useful information. Um, it is actually useful uh, for doctors and epidemiologists to be able to track people's movement in a kind of pandemic like this. Um, but unfortunately, any student uh, of history can tell you that when uh, powers like these are gained by governments, uh, they don't go away that quickly. Um, this information, of course, would also be incredibly useful for not even a totalitarian or authoritarian state, um, but for any state that is interested in policing people's behavior, in knowing a whole lot more about them uh, than the people get to know about the government, um, or in using this kind of data to restrict people's freedom or ability to uh, protest the government. Now, in the United States, we sort of most recently saw an explosion of this kind of government power in the wake of the September 11th attacks. Um, if you recall, uh, in the wake of these attacks, uh, a series of laws called the Patriot Act uh, were passed, and they gave the government broad powers to surveil people, to keep track of their movements, uh, to read emails, to listen in on phone conversations, to access text, data, uh, all sorts of things. Uh, some of this power has been scaled back, um, but a lot of it hasn't. However, uh, this pandemic is potentially going to be another example of a time when people will potentially welcome this new power on the part of the government and actually hope that it will be used. And, you know, we can't exactly blame them for that hope. The fact is that in the United States and throughout much of the rest of the world, uh, there aren't that many other options in terms of determining how the outbreak is going because testing took so long to get online. But the thing is that once governments have the ability to do this, uh, they aren't just going to give it away. And it will be incredibly difficult to pressure them to stop using it um, if uh, we are living in a situation where uh, our freedom of assembly is reduced because of fears of spreading the virus. Uh, or where people are being heavily policed when they're in public areas, again, because of fears of spreading the virus. Threading that needle um, between advocating for personal freedom uh, during the epidemic and also being responsible advocates for the safety and 
just continued living of uh, our fellow citizens and residents in the United States is going to be incredibly hard. Um, and it's something that anybody on the left or anybody who considers themselves a progressive is going to have to think very carefully about. Finally, I want to touch on a more acute danger uh, relating to the right wing uh, during the pandemic, and that is a resurgence of right wing militarism. And by this, I mean actual physical attacks on people with weapons. Um, just a few days ago, we got reports of a new right wing attack um, by a neo Nazi in the state of Missouri. Uh, he attempted to car bomb a hospital uh, containing uh, coronavirus patients uh, outside of the city of Kansas City. Uh, the man is known to have been an active user of several neo-Nazi message boards and uh, messaging apps, uh, specifically Telegram, uh, and was uh, caught by the FBI uh, as he was uh, on his way to pick up uh, what he thought was a bomb, um, but which was, of course, a plant. Uh, the FBI had uh, organized a sting operation to get him. Fortunately, the only casualty in this entire scenario was uh, the man himself, um, currently, we don't know whether or not he was killed by the FBI or if he took his own life in this process. Um, unfortunately, I think we can expect a lot more attacks like this um, because the fact is that the message boards and apps uh, on which this man was active are seeing a huge uptick in references to violence and calls for violence, specifically in the wake of the pandemic. Um, Disasters like these, uh, where there's a major breakdown in social confidence, uh, where people are disempowered, uh, where people are unable to take control of public space, are exactly the kinds of scenarios in which right-wing terrorists uh, imagine themselves emerging ascendant and uh, taking over the state. Now, many of them, uh, rather than imagining that they're going to be taking over the state, are literally just talking about uh, killing people whom they believe to be their racial enemies. And uh, because we're primarily talking about neo-Nazis and specifically white neo-Nazis, um, they mean people of color, uh, they mean people of Jewish descent, and in the wake of this pandemic, they are specifically talking about uh, people of East Asian descent uh, whom they describe as being all Chinese, uh, you know, being famously uninterested in discerning any difference between someone who is of Japanese descent or Korean descent or uh, Philippine descent. Now, once again, uh, these kinds of attacks hopefully uh, will not achieve their goals, um, but unfortunately, uh, as a historian, uh, I must warn you that this is precisely the kind of time in which these kinds of campaigns can be successful in changing people's minds and in changing people's relationship to politics, the government, and also their everyday lives. Um, you can easily imagine a situation in which um, a combination of the threat of right-wing violence and also state violence uh, in the form of massive policing of public space really changes people's uh, orientation uh, around being in public, interacting with strangers. Um, and that is something that uh, the right wing has wanted uh, for quite a long time. Uh, and my hope is that we can avert that as a consequence of this pandemic. All right, that was 15 minutes of fascism. Uh, please join us again next week as we continue to detail uh, how the right wing is not letting this crisis go to waste.